1: Welcome to the Six O Two Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so glad that she is here with me coming at you live from Hawkins, Indiana. Uh the well, I guess this the place that was formerly the Starcourt Mall, because not really so much a mall anymore, um, Christy. I I'm sorry. The shopping here has really gone downhill since the incident.
2: It's gotten a little dirty. <laughs> The
1: Gap isn't as nice anymore. Yeah. So, although the, I hear the ice cream place is excellent, so. Yeah, hey, scoops ahoy. Mm, excellent stuff. <laughs> and we're so excited because back on the show to help us talk about Stranger Things is my co-host from Owl Post, the one and only Drea Kaufman.
0: Hello. I feel like everything has Hello. a little bit of like a dusting of gunpowder, too. Like a bunch of fireworks got set off or something. Yeah,
1: it does feel like that. Um, it really looks like somebody just threw a car through this place. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're excited to be here to talk about Stranger Things Season 3. I hope everybody uh, has gotten a chance to watch it by this point. We waited a few weeks, so everybody had a chance to binge to their heart's content uh, the return of, well, the Hawkins family. And so, I hope you got your coffee, because we're ready for some contemplation. Um, Before we get to our episode, uh, talking through all of the episodes we watch. You can find us over on Twitter at Trek FM We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. So the 602 Club is pretty much anywhere podcasts can be had. Um, best place to go if uh, you want to leave us a star rating review too is over at iTunes or Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate everybody who's already given us reviews. So, you know, if you like the show, help people find it. Um, and uh, by doing... Leaving the star rating review—that's what helps people find it. Uh, you can also find us online at Trek FM. Uh, we've got the listeners-only discussion. We've got the listeners-only discussion group there on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. You can get there two ways: one, type Babel into the search field there on Facebook. Uh, and that way you can get into the group and talk to all the different listeners from around the world. Uh, and uh, you can go to the website at track.fm uh, and any of our show pages that you'll see. There's a button that says discussion and you can use that to get in as well. And last but not least, you can uh, send us an email. Go to track.fm slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club, and that comes to Christy and I. And last but not least, uh, help us out with Patreon. Uh, if you like the network and like what we do here, go to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can become part of the team. Uh, and make sure all the podcasts that we are doing here on the network keep coming to each and every week. Uh, we'll have new podcasts that are going to be coming out soon, as I mean, we've got more Star Trek shows that are going to be coming out. So if you were listening to any of the news we got at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, We've got plenty that's going to be coming for you. If you were out listening to the news for San Diego Comic-Con, you know we have like 30 new Marvel movies we're going to be talking about for the next 40 years. So stay tuned. Um, you know, and there's just so much stuff happening here on Track FM with the 602 Club and everything else. So again, if you would like to support the network and really make sure that this quality content keeps coming to you, again, go to patreon.com slash Trek.FM. Now guys, ladies... I think that's the right term. Y'all. I like (laughs) y'all. Yeah. So this season was really interesting because we kind of have... I was trying to figure out how to tackle the show because it's always interesting talking about this many episodes. But we have like a new old villain who's come back because the Mind flare that we got rid of last season is back to influence this season again. So he's gotten out of will which is great but unfortunately he's trapped in our world now because they closed the gate to the um upside down uh and he's been working on a new plan to take over the world he's like pinky in the brain uh except he just looks like a big pinky brain this monster he's created so um what did you guys kind of think about this is our like main threat Um, And did it kind of live up to for you guys to what we've gotten before for the last two seasons of Stranger Things?
2: So I, I felt like it actually exceeded what the monsters have done in the previous seasons to me because of just the sheer size. I mean, of course, like the Mind Flayer himself was huge in season two, but I felt like the monster that he creates, first of all, is disgusting. And so that catches your attention. And then also just the size of it and the way that it works with being able to absorb people is so much different and not just the possession of a host. It's that as well. So now it's not only the mind flayer they have to contend with, it's the mind flayer and his buddy.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a different sort of monster than we've had before. Right. This one was much more... Like in the past, they've always been kind of a known threat. Like you don't know what they look like, but you know, it is what it is. And this one's different in that it kind of possesses the bodies of different people in town or, or recreates the bodies of people in town. It's kind of hard to tell, um, which you don't know then who is part of the mind flayer this time around. They kind of eased us into it last season, but this is a very different beast and a different way of being afraid of something. Um, But yeah, it's super gross and super awesomely gross. Um, They definitely didn't hold back on any of the ick this season. Um, So for that, I definitely appreciated it. And it was difficult to beat, just like all of the other sort of upside down threats we faced so that i think that at least was consistent it was it was a challenge to be it wasn't you know just like all of the others the demigorgon the demigods right it
1: felt like jabba the hutt's uglier gelatinous brother you know like has lots it, of it, limbs yeah i mean it's like it really is one of the most disgusting things that they've ever created for this show. I, I They really raised the uh, nasty factor when it came to that.
0: But I think which... they've been working up to that. The first one yeah, was kind of so. gross. Last season was a little bit grosser, and now this one is like epic level of gross. Um, But again, they eased you into it, right? We had the cat eating situation last season, which was pretty gross. And it was basically just a giant season of eating... You know, Muse. So,
2: and then Bob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was pretty or gross
1: Bob. too. Mm. You know, it it just it it's like you know we had it. It's interesting because the first season could be called Strange Things, and then the second season could be called Stranger Things, and this season could have been Strangest Things. And it's like you had gross, grosser, and grossest. You know, like this was so far the grossest. Um, and so, how did you guys feel about? Billy then being kind of the main protagonist i guess the main vehicle with which we were going to work out the mind flare's plan.
2: Oh, it was perfect. I mean, it it made sense because introducing him in the last season, he already comes across like a villain anyway. Like he's a little off-kilter, he has a short temper, and he obviously has a history of being abused by his dad. So those things usually um, tend to promote the child to then have some issues as well and sometimes become violent because that's all they've known. Um, and so it made sense that then Billy is getting used by the mind flayer for evil as well. Um, and And I like that they gave him something to do and didn't just make it like, he's just a bad seed. They have him being like this main character throughout this entire season now, rather than just Max's brother.
0: Yeah, I think it also helped in that his mannerisms and the things he did didn't seem out of character for the other characters. Like, Him being a creepy mind flayer puppet didn't seem weird to anybody else. Um, And so no one, it was harder to catch on, right? Because it's kind of what you would expect him to do. Be creepy, be out all night, you know, hang out with random girls. Like that just is what his sister and sort of the society he was in had expected. So it made it even a little bit easier with that character. Um, And I do like that he became a main character and had an actual sort of arc to him too, even as a possessed, you know, bad guy, um, a possessed bag of gelatinous goo. Um, You know, like we got a story arc for him. We got to learn more about him and why he was, I mean, we had an idea, his dad beat him, but we didn't know the story behind his mom or why they left California or any of that. So I love that he kind of got a redeeming arc, even though, and you didn't have to like him. To still hate him, which is a stretch to do right. for a, a bad guy. And then that he completely turns around in the end. Yeah, he, he had his his turning moment, right? Which is which is always nice to see, too.
1: And it's kind of interesting, too, because I, I think the thing that they pick up so well is, like, everybody hates him as a character from season two. And then they continue you wanting to hate him at the beginning of the season. I mean, he's definitely cuckoo, cuchoo, Mrs. Robinson- that all was over so gross. you know
0: <laughs> that was Wheeler's grosser than mom. the big gelatinous pile of monster
1: <laughs> and so uh, but you know i mean and and i thought what was like so interesting about that whole storyline too is that it, it's it's very like realistic you know like that's how that kind of thing can happen so you're just predisposed to hate this guy and i i liked that the the story uses him then as this you know avatar of evil and you buy it that he he would almost be okay with this but then it does that twist with him and it gives you more of his backstory but i i like that that never excuses billy's behavior you know, towards people or, you know, like, we're we're not saying, oh, it's okay then that Billy was like the way he is. No, and he even he realizes, I I think, you know, it his moment of self-sacrifice is almost his moment of trying to earn some kind of redemption for all of the evil he has been doing in his life. You know, it's almost like he has a realization of, like, I've been a huge douchebag my entire life, and I only have this one moment to try and save you know l and the rest of these kids like this is this is the only time i'm going to be able to do it otherwise i'm just going to die for nothing and it, and it does make you feel like he he does die with more of a sense of purpose then um but it, it still doesn't make you hate him um any less really um it does make you feel slightly more sorry for him for sure um but i i just i they i felt like they just walk that line really well with him as a character and and You know, kind of like I've heard, too, with a lot of Stephen King novels. They'll have the character... He'll have the character who's just really bad, and he's always bad. He never changes, really. And Billy kind of fills that role very well in the story, which makes sense because, as we know, the Duffer brothers love all things, you know, the 80s and, like, Stephen King. That's really where they get a lot of their inspiration for this stuff. So, I I, Billy just seems like the perfect, again, like... You know avatar for gelatinous evil
0: <laughs> and- yeah he's not he's not the anti hero, which I think a lot of stories nowadays kind of just default to this anti-hero where it's like a hero you don't like at first or has flaws that ultimately proves to be a really good person deep down like i don't think you ever believe billy's a really good person you just believe that there's kind of a reasoning behind how he became the way he became and that doesn't necessarily make us like him or make him a good person it just it, it just means like there is a story for what has happened here and how he became what he became, you know, it's a series of bad decisions. So, um, you know, I, I liked him as our, as our bad guy because you you felt something for him besides just hating him, which is hard to do.
2: Yeah. I think you couldn't have said it better. Drea, I felt all the same things. And especially that, like you're both saying that he's not completely redeemed that it doesn't make you go oh well i like him now but you at least kind of see what his background was
0: like you don't want to dress your kid up for him as halloween no. but you you know but you would you would get you, you get him you get him as a character but i are not looking for any billy best. costumes as halloween yeah.
1: yeah i don't know i you know there are so many women out there that absolutely love draco malfoy and just think he's the bee's knees yeah, but see, um, when he it had comes a, to men.
0: Mm, he had a much more redeeming arc, a much more redeeming arc in the long run than Billy did. I mean, he was also much younger when all That's, of the things that true. happened to happened. Like, So you can kind of chalk that up to being a kid, right? The, I, think, I think Billy's past the Oh, he's a kid and, you know, came from a bad family because Max turned out okay. So, I mean, I, I think it's a little different. And, but yes, I also, I'm also i also sure out there there are some huge Billy fans. I mean, clearly, Mrs. Wheeler really was into Billy, knowing what she knew of him, which was still, I'm going back to ew.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, just ew, because her makeup was so perfectly 80s and utterly disgusting all at the same time. Her um. Sweet. So yes, way too much, Mrs. Wheeler, <laughs> way too much. Way
2: too much ew just, all around. Just reeling back about 30 hundred feet, you know, but but I will say it was understandable that a guy that age would think that somebody else's mom was attractive.
1: Nancy's mom who's got it going on.
2: <laughs> I read a really
0: cool article where the actress who plays Karen Wheeler had, um, kind of a say in the scene where she changes her mind. Um, the scene where she comes downstairs and sees, you know, Holly and Mr. Wheeler in the chair passed out. Um And originally it was just going to be Mr. Wheeler in the chair passed out. And she's like, knowing what she knows of the character and what we've created, she's like, that's not going to be enough guys. Like no one's going to buy that. She sees her husband and is like, Oh, my husband. So she convinced them to put Holly in the scene too, because really it's playing to her mom card. Like, you love your kids even though this marriage is really hard you're doing it for them what is that going to do to them it creates this whole different thought process that kind of goes through her mind and other and the kind of the viewers minds and i loved the fact that one they let her kind of interject that and two i thought that scene was really touching um and and that i do think that that the kid was the convincing part of that and not so much that she loves her super milk toast, boring neglectful husband so
2: well, and I do want to give a little bit of defense to Mr. Wheeler in that situation because I think it also was playing up to her realizing that he's a he is a good dad, that as much flack as he gets, that yeah. he's there holding his daughter and the two of them asleep together. like That means that clearly she loves her dad, so they have a relationship. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, and I think more importantly, what I thought was so great about that scene is that so much of our culture loves to just romanticize affairs and say that they they're wonderful and that they can help a person find themselves and what we see here is miss wheeler actually choose to stay with her husband choose to to stay true to her vows not just for herself but for others that it would affect like her family and so the fact that this woman isn't necessarily super happy, but what I also really appreciated is that we also see her putting effort back into her marriage that she hasn't necessarily been putting in either. So it's, it's, we see in the show, it's like this is, this is a, this is a tango. This is a two person dance, right? Marriage is about two people together, and both of them have not necessarily been doing all that they can for their marriage, but what we see her at the end of this, this, uh, season is really start to try again. You know, they go to the fair as the family, um, you know, her and their youngest daughter and uh, her husband. Um, they're experiencing things together. They're having fun again together. Uh, and she's definitely trying to, to kind of, like, ignite that firework back into their relationship and to their family relationship. And I thought that that was something that was really neat. And so for this to kind of reaffirm that, you know, family matters like and it's not just about you being happy like that's kind of countercultural today because most things that we watch these days seem to say yeah just go for it just go screw whoever you want regardless of how it's going to impact your marriage because all that matters is you being happy and fulfilled sexually
0: right well we also see how it deepens her relationship with um with Nancy too, when later they kind of have this exchange and she basically tells her, you know what, I didn't have the opportunity in my time to go and be myself and be strong and brave and use my voice. And you should, you should go do that. I absolutely think you should go do that. You know, they have this really meaningful mother daughter exchange that is very different from the last two seasons where we've seen her kind of chasing after Nancy and sort of being this like almost like superficial level mom, like, Oh, it's okay. You know, come talk to me, be nice. You know, like now she's having a meaningful in-depth conversation and talking to her, you know, her high school, or I think at this point, Nancy's graduated high school or will be graduating high school between something like that.
1: Yeah, she's her and Jonathan, I think have graduated by this point. So
0: right and having an adult to adult conversation. And that's a very different dynamic than we've ever seen with them. And it happens. I feel like after she's sort of reinvigorated in her her life and says, Okay, I can't change that. But you know what I can do? I can empower Nancy to change her life. So I thought that was also pretty meaningful and, and, a, and a big moment for them. Um And you could just tell by the actress's face that this was not like, this isn't the mom I know, you know, like intentional. So, um it you know, it just all across the board, that decision really kind of empowered Mrs. Wheeler or Karen versus kind of just belittling her into like a sexual object, which was, which was yes. good to see.
2: Yes. Yeah. I was so glad that they didn't follow through with Billy and Mrs. Wheeler having a thing. Um, And that the whole reason that Billy even gets interrupted is, you know, to become the, you know, pawn of the creature. Um, But I, I like that she, like you were saying, Matt, makes that conscious choice of, you know what? I have some amazing things here that I should work on keeping. And I shouldn't just throw it away for one night with this, you know, basically high school kid, um, I need to realize everything that I have and, and what I haven't been probably putting back into it. Um, although it does kind of make me laugh that it's like, yeah, they go out as a family without the other two kids.
0: (laughs) Right. Half my family is missing, but it's a family outing.
2: Who cares? Well, and, And I think,
1: you know, there's a, there's a big part of that too, where, um, she makes this decision that th- there's a whole other, there's a whole other segment I think of our society where it's like we have like I guess we have like idolized sexuality of as, as if it's the only part of relationships that matter too, mm-hmm. and I think what she realizes here is like she may never have the most firework sexual relationship with her husband, right? It, it just might not be there, but that doesn't mean that all of the other things about him aren't good. Like you said, Christy, he's a good father, Yeah, you know, uh, for the most part. Um, you see that, you know, he hasn't always been the best father, but he also provides for their family. You know, he, um, and he, he, he doesn't ever seem like he'd be the person to betray her either. You know, like there are things that are there that are good. And and like we just we sometimes get so used to our, you know, we can just say we get so used to our spouses that we forget the good things about them because they become so mundane because we're just with them every day. You know, and this situation, reminds her of what's actually good there. So, you know, who knew we were going to talk about Mrs. Wheeler for like 20 minutes? Um,
0: (laughs) Well, but but when we talked about the them going to the fair and. Holly's there and Mr. Wheeler's there, but you know, the rest of the kids are, you know, they're MIA, whatever. I feel like that really speaks to like a culture. And that really speaks to the eighties. Um, when you think back on super eighties movies, right? Like, um, ET and stuff like that. There's just this different atmosphere where kids, once they're about 10, 11, 12, they just kind of go do their thing. Like they've got their whole other thing and they come back after dark. And as long as they're at a friend's house or at their house after dark, you know, parents are good to go. Um, and I think that's just one of those big things they capitalize on in this movie when they are in this show, in the series, when they start driving home all of these super 80s themes. One of them is like kind of the kids running free and no one really knows what they are, but everyone's fine and safe, which is shocking in Hawkins and Hawkins based on the fact that no one is ever safe in this town. Um, but it's just like one of those little like 80s things along with all of the other 80s horrific stuff they brought to the table this time around.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you bringing that up, you know, obviously the show's always leaned on the 80s. And but I think this this season we really see that play out uh even more so. I think part of the horror aspect that we see in this show kind of references a lot of those like more disgusting 80s horror movies that started to come out, um would be really popular and, you know, I also think the other villain in this, this season is, is, you know, when we're talking about the 80s is the scare of the Russian threat, right? But here, the Russian threat is not about their nuclear threat. They're trying to reopen the upside down and have literally opened Star Court Mall, uh, so that they can use it as a cover for their base, which is below Star Court Mall, uh, and is where they're trying to, um reopen the upside down which you know 11 had closed last season so it's like they really are leaning into this idea of the 80s and the red scare you know we just didn't know how red the scare was Uh so
0: <laughs> it was so uh, that to me is the part that didn't work the most in this season is the like there's a lot of little plot points in terms of bringing that many Russians to town and nobody noticing that like I didn't quite buy. Like none of them speak English, but how do any of them go to the supermarket or where do they live that nobody noticed this weird concentration of Russians in this tiny town? Like that to me is the part it's a little unbelievable and I had a
2: hard time getting behind. You're just not supposed to ask questions, Drea. That's what it is they were all on vacation <laughs> they were getting slurpees
0: <laughs> they were all getting cherry slurpees
1: yeah I guess I didn't have too much of a problem with that because it just fits in so much with the 80s motif of like these type of things happening in small town America and like it it just seems so classic but I just I love though that on top of the Russians being this threat um, you know we really do kind of dive into mall culture, and you know the death of main streets because big malls had opened up, and all the smaller stores on old, all those old main streets starts to die because all the stores have moved to the mall. Which is funny because nowadays, like I growing up in Texas, like the the city of Dallas and Fort Worth just keeps expanding in the inner core like you'll start to lose like malls that used to exist there because now they've built brand new malls like 20 miles away
2: Mm
1: -hmm. it's drive 20 miles to the mall but you know where the mall used to be was perfect because it was around the corner from you know so it's like we keep having these issues but i just thought that was really smart to kind of like dive into this idea of let's go to the mall Today, uh, and and it was—I mean—that's so the '80s. Like I remember walking around the mall in the '80s with my parents, and like the Gap looked just like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Or you would go get a corn dog. Yeah. I remember movie yep. the-
0: movie theaters inside the mall, not near yes. the mall. Yes, like entrances in the
2: mall. Yeah. Or I spent a lot of time at the arcade. Mm. That was I yes. loved that I had all that in there. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: I like the Pilates class or the Jazzercise size class. That was, <laughs> that was super eighties. That was amazing. Didn't
2: the boys just be
0: like,
1: their their jaws hitting the floor as they watch Your the awakenings
2: women. <laughs> <happen>. <laughs> uh, there's
1: been an awakening. Have you felt it? <laughs>
2: but yeah Um, the 80s references never feel like they were too intentional it feels like it's all natural that it's things that you remember with the nostalgia for that time and and i like that they went with that route with the whole russian scare that wasn't anything to do with missiles that you know it completely just went the other direction and it's that no it's back to sort of um, which one is going to be first to reopen the gate kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I like the the whole thing, too, of um, the kids stumbling upon it, that, you know, they just happen to hear a code, and then it goes into this whole thing of them going down an elevator into a secret base. With a secret operation.
0: Russian base?
2: Yeah. Operation Child Endangerment.
0: <laughs> I love it. And and
1: that's the thing that was so funny because you know I was just um I was just rewatching Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for something else and it just reminded me you know that the Russians were very interested in the supernatural. Um and so them tying all that together with this it, again it just kind of makes sense with everything that was going on in the 80s. So I think they do just a great job of for the most part of bringing this all together, you know, I do think one of the criticisms you could have is they could possibly have had one more episode to allow some of the stuff to breathe. And like Drea, you said, just kind of fill in a few more of the details. Um, but I think for the most part, the the storyline works mostly well. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely a more cohesive, coherent season than season two was um with the episode that shall not be named
0: I I thought that the clothing was the only part for me that was a little too 80s rific like a little too on the nose like I think and it's not because the clothes were too eighty rific but the transition from season 2 to season 3 and the it was kind of a drastic wardrobe change for everyone um it was like we were kind of alluding to it could be set in the eighties for the first two seasons. And then all of a sudden in season three, you're like, there is no doubt in my mind, this is the eighties. Um, and that was a little bit to me, the only part that was maybe a little hammering over the head. Like we talked about, you know, Mrs. Wheeler's makeup. Nancy's was kind of along those lines too. a a couple places where just some of the stylistic choices could clearly changed from the previous episodes. Like you were supposed to really believe this is late eighties now. Um, but other than that, most of the rest of the references were just as 80s-rific as they had been and subtle um, as they had been previously. Um I did really like that the two main kind of guest stars this season, you know, big names that were brought on to take uh, roles were also really popular 80s actors. I feel like that just I mean, you've got Carrie Eels from Princess Bride in 1987. And, you know, Busey from uh, Lethal Weapon. And was that 83, 84, something like that. Um, So you have two big names from 80s. And I like that they just kind of carried that through, Um, you know, them from the 80s. And now they're in this 80s thing. So um, I thought that was really kind of subtle and smart uh, the way they did that as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. And and I, my favorite tie to the, the 80s culture as well was all of their constant through every season, the homages to Stephen King stuff. Um, it, definitely with this season, I feel like if people have not seen The Shining that you missed out in that scene with the reporter chasing Nancy.
0: I feel like you didn't even have to see The Shining. You just had to have heard what it was and see some pop culture reference to The Shining to get that mm-hmm. um, because I loved it. Cause yeah, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, I love. Come and play with us. I think
0: you know one
1: of the things that was most interesting in this show was the fact that it was all about relationships, like, and all of the different relationships that are going on, and and so there's lots of interplay between the different relationships that are happening. Um, so, and and most of them happen to be. Some kind of romantic relationships, but then you have the friendships. And so it's just like there is so much going on. And, you know, it was um, it was kind of hysterical to see Hopper and Joyce trying to figure the things out and having those classic, like, misunderstandings. And uh, I loved him picking out the wildly wild shirt that looked like it came straight off a pair of jams in the 80s uh you know i remember those shirts you know like i i thought that was that was really cute and you know i will say too it's not it's not easy the older you get um and when you've had a lot of things happen to you to to necessarily be able to let those go and get into a new relationship you know, so it to me, it felt like it feels realistic to, to for them to have been friends for so long and everything and to, like, try and move towards another phase. is It's not easy, you know, so.
2: Well, and like it, it makes sense, I think, because with her recently having lost Bob so horrifically, it's she had known both of them since high school. They made that clear in season two. And so it's natural for Hopper to be the one to comfort her anyway. And then for it to possibly morph from there into a romantic love rather than just friend comforting a friend. So I felt like it worked in that sense. And then for the fact that Hopper as well had been through this journey of losing his daughter and then his marriage um, and having to kind of, come to grips with himself and become a better person before he was ready to be in a relationship again. So he and Joyce both had a long road till they got to this point and then finally kind of realized that they care about each other more than just friends.
0: So if you've heard me on any of the other Stranger Thing podcasts, you would know that Hopper has always been my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um I have to completely disagree with all of this because they created an alcoholic, abusive, controlling man this season. And that was my least favorite part. It was believable. I get how we got there. We've been laying the groundwork for it. Um, but dear, <laughs> dear, 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 dear. Like I, I, he essentially tricked, tried to trick Joyce into dating him. He basically thought didn't trust Elle and threatened her boyfriend. Um, you know, he was essentially a high functioning alcoholic the entire season, which they had alluded to, but we actually got to see play out this time. Um, I thought Hopper came off as extremely creepy and definitely, definitely an abusive person, which we didn't have context for in the eighties that just kind of went unchecked. There was no one to to sort of speak against that or stand up against that at that time. That just wasn't, that was kind of swept under the rug. Um, I did not like what they did with this character. I did not like how they tried to develop the relationship between him and Joyce. I agree. We laid the groundwork. It would have been nice if it sort of was naturally playing out, but I thought the way that they did it was forceful and, I just, she had every right to not show up. She had every right to turn him down. She had every right to say all these things and he was not respecting her boundaries. He was not respecting what she was telling him. Um, and it should be okay for them to just stay non-romantic friends if she wasn't interested. Um, and so a little bit of the journey I think was her getting interested, but in the whole of it, it just kind of came off as creepy. Um, and I did not enjoy that aspect of Hopper. I did not like seeing that, that how is how his character kind of came to a fruition, if you will. Um, and he needed to give her space when she asked for space and not force himself into the situation when she wasn't ready. Um, so I did not like Hopper and I did not like how that relationship played out this season, which is a shame because he was always my favorite character for the longest time. Um, so I'm just going to agree to disagree on this one.
2: Um, but I was not a Hopper fan this time around. I am, I am surprised to hear that. Cause I, that's not the vibe that I got. Um, but I understand definitely too. If you look at the scenes where like he's beating up on Alexi, you know, I get that it was a frustrating situation, but then you feel like Hopper goes way too far when he grabs the guy's shirt and he's throwing him around the room. That does feel abusive for sure um and i i guess maybe i excused a lot of the way hopper acts with joyce because i feel like he's trying to figure out how he feels about everything um but he he did come to her for advice with the whole l thing even if he didn't take it um and, and i felt like the scene with him and mike was just Him mirroring what I saw in my own dad when I started dating, not that he was actually serious about doing anything to Mike, but that he was just being weird to freak Mike out on purpose and was never going to do anything about it. That's but all why, yeah. that
0: tells me is that he doesn't trust Elle and her decision-making and her own ability to do that. And that, I mean, we can get into a whole feminist soapbox over here that I don't need to take it down, but mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it's a toxic approach to relationships. It's a toxic approach to being a male, uh, to being a dad and being a male parent. There's no need to threaten him. He could have had a conversation that said, Hey, I want to see my daughter more. I miss my daughter. Um, and he was uncomfortable to do that. And I just I don't it it does strike as something I can see how it happened. I can see how it naturally progressed. I can see how that became a part of his personality and who they've created. But that doesn't mean that I necessarily thought it was the way it should have been handled or what I wanted to see in that character in the long run. I wanted to see more growth and not step what I saw steps back. Yeah,
1: And I would I would argue that that's exactly what you see, but it's at the end when you you know where when l is reading the letter the this season is a progression for hopper, like um you know he's learning to be a dad again, um he's the dad of a girl who knows nothing, so no, he does not trust l because l doesn't know um and that's something that we actually show in this season how l doesn't know anything other than she doesn't know anything other than hopper and mike you know like and and she There's needs more you know she needs more than just that and so we learn that this season that's something that hopper's learning this season um and so i i don't think that all of the situations with him or i don't think they glamorize it or anything i think they're just showing a person who is in his own season of growth too and that by the end he is a different man than he was at the beginning of the season you know Um
0: right but and I agree and I agree that that letter comes around and that that letter definitely shows like a different hopper than we started with at the beginning of the season but that doesn't mean that I thought the way he handled himself at the beginning of the season and the relationships and the way he developed those were cute like I don't think they were well, appropriate uh,
1: yeah and I, I don't f- I don't think, I don't think I would call everything he did cute. I'm just meaning I, I felt like the overall it. I, I I'm not as hard on him as you're being. So, um, I, I just fair. think he. Yeah, I just think he's. Um, I, I and part of one of the things that this show is very good at is that like it doesn't cover up the sins of the characters. You right. know, like it it shows them who they are and how they need to grow. And and Hopper's definitely one of them
0: um well we talked about earlier how how billy really wasn't an anti-hero right like we didn't like him ever and we weren't ever meant to like him i feel like hopper is an anti-hero and that you're not supposed to like a lot about him he's supposed to have a flawed journey but ultimately he comes through and does the thing that's right he does the thing we want him to do um so uh so i think if you have any anti-heroes here that Hopper's hopper's going to be that antihero especially seeing as he makes kind of the ultimate sacrifice at the end as well um so i didn't like the part of the journey we went through with him this time and how that played out um but you know i i agree that this this was part of a journey I and mean, he wasn't meant to be perfect um uh, but that i it's still i still don't personally like the relationship that we were kind of force-fed between him and joyce i think Joyce is a strong, powerful woman, and I like that at the end, we see her kind of take that and leave Hawkins. Spoilers. No, I'm just kidding. Right.
1: Well, and I think I think that's the thing that I, I thought was the best about the season, is that they don't get together, quote-unquote, until the very, very end, right before he dies, where,
0: like, he's... Can we put dies in air quotes somehow? Right. Over voice D- yeah. only. Uh, he
1: dies. Ding, ding, um,
2: disappears.
1: You know, uh, and so, but I, I think that's the thing is like, I, I, what I really appreciate about the season is they didn't just force them together at the beginning of the season. Like there is this movement of them towards each other in this whole season. Um, that's a rocky road to get there. But, and, and two, it's at the end, she asks him out. Like Mm -hmm. he's kind of like backed off and he's not ready for her to be like, Hey, do you want to go have dinner? And he's the one being like, are so is this like a date? Are we friends? You know, like he's he's completely come around in a different way, and I think that's a really cool part. I was really appreciative that at that moment at Murray's house with Hopper, that he was right. Oh um, yes. I get so tired of shows where the characters like, they're gonna do this and they're gonna do this, and and I I they did that a couple of times with the male characters in the season because they did it with Mike too, where he was worried about L and he had every right to be worried about L because exactly what he feared was exactly what happened. And that Max and so what I appreciated is it wasn't these guys trying to be macho or like overprotective. They're worried for good reasons or they're using what they have as, you know, their like Hopper's job is to read people and to do this for a living and he knew exactly what was going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. I really appreciated that. Um,
0: I like so that I it took like, a second to get there, though. That you actually yes, kind of thought that he was, great. was wrong. Yes, right. You see yep. the car starting to pull out, like they yep. got that far, and then he was right. I like that you kind of yes. both sides won, right? Like, it was. They got you, but then Hopper was right. Yeah, and
1: and it was it was one of those moments where it was kind of like I think it, again it was like a turning point for the character. Like that was one of those things where it's like. Something turned there for the character, and the the rest of where they're going there, like, um, Hopper be- starts to become, I think, a very different person after they leave Murray's. A lot of the experiences they've had have kind of, I think, fomented him in, into a different type of person. So it's just, I, I, I like all that. Um, so we have so much more to talk about, and we've been talking for a long time, so a lot going on. Um, I did want to just hit L and Mike real quick because I loved that they have this, this struggle and like they're the, all the relationships in here are like, so high school relationships I've been working with the high school kids, um, at the church. And this is exactly what it's like. It's like this same kind of drama all the time. Um, but I just, I loved their relationship because there is a there is a purity to their relationship together. They don't go through a lot of the same drama that like Max and Lucas are doing. They don't get that because there's more of a purity to
0: who they are as characters. Oh my God, Max um, and Lucas just slayed me the entire time. Yeah. Like, it just killed me
1: and I loved it. So great, so great. But I just appreciated that really Mike does love Elle. And it's not just like, ooh, happy puppy dog love. Like, he truly loves her, and he would give his life for her. And he worries about her because she's been the only person who can stop all these things, and he's worried about losing the person that he cares about the most. And it's just, it was really sweet, you know? And, like, for her to be able to come around and be able to see that because she's seen, like, a different side because of Max kind of helping to like educate her in the ways of the world, I guess you could say like all of that really worked for me. I thought that was really, that stuff was really, it's perfect high school relationship stuff. And um, yeah, I love those two characters. They're just really great together.
2: Yeah. I, I love that in particular with Mike, like you're getting hitting on Matt. Um, he's the one person besides maybe Hopper that truly cares about Elle's well-being and about what happens with her when she's trying to fight all of this stuff and that the audience shouldn't forget that she's still just a kid, you know, that there's all this expected of her and she's what, like 13 or something, you know, that's not fair. And it, it really hit me when um max wanted l to go in and do it again um and mike says hold on a minute maybe that's not the best idea and max is trying to defend the situation and go you need to trust her and know that she knows what she's doing it's not an issue of trust mike trusts her he just knows that there may be things that l is naive to and that could hurt her
1: or, or i mean it, it's also a power level thing I mean you know I think Mike is more worried about that
0: that whole situation differently because I I read it as more of an empowering thing like to me Max was her lifeline to ever we talked about how like Hopper is worried about her because all she knows are Hopper and Mike And so for me, I read Max as her lifeline to kind of everything else that's out there for kids her age, right? And all the other things she could do and be and live and and see. And so for me, I saw that as her teaching her to be empowered and saying like, she is a person, she gets to decide her limits. She gets to know how far to take this. And she can hear that you care about her, but it's not up to you to decide whether she keeps going or not. That is her decision and her decision alone. Um, and I agree, you know, that they're all, they're kind of all kids and no one should be having to deal with this, but it's kind of fallen upon them for, you know, the third time. Cause who knows how, I mean, we've got it seven times in Harry Potter. Why not three times here? Um, and uh, so I always took it as it, it was about Mike learning a different way to be in a relationship than what he has seen his mom and dad be. And that his mom and dad re- represent a very traditional structure where dad, you know, sort of runs the household and makes the income and mom kind of does the cooking and the cleaning and the child rearing. Like this is a different dynamic than what Mike has ever really experienced. And for me, it was just about Max helping him to see that there are other ways to be in this relationship than what he already knows. Um, and so I love because it all and him accepting that and being kind of willing to try something new and try a different way to be in this relationship does just reinforce what we've been talking about of how much he really truly loves her, that he's willing to try something that's unfamiliar to him and a little bit scary in terms of the way he is in that relationship, which is really mature for kids their age. I mean, there's adults out there that can't do that. So um, I thought it was just they have a very mature relationship for their age and it's probably for all the reasons we've been talking about just based on the fact that like this is very unique circumstances for all of these characters and they've all been through some pretty traumatic things already um so i i think it it falls into that category and it has kind of allowed them to create a deeper relationship that has more meaning than maybe we would see in your traditional you know lucas and max who crack you up but their relationship's not very deep
1: yeah i do think the thing that was the best about it is that and this is I, i don't think What's interesting is that I think Mike and Max uh, are worried about two different things. I think Max is assuming that that Mike is coming at this from a a level of like um,
0: control trying to
1: control, but that's not what he cares about at all and what he does care about is exactly what happens and you see that he had every worry right to be worried that this would happen to her and put her in even more danger than she's already in in the first place and so um and i think as much as i liked the max and 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 uh, l storyline for a lot of things it does do for l i do think that there's a misconception that just because somebody is trying to be protective of somebody it is trying to be controlling And like that's just not the way love works like it, you know the best love is is not one that's trying to control people we all want to protect those that we love it's not because we want to control them um if we're doing it right and so you know i think you know Max has her other Max has her own issues, obviously she's seen an abusive father, an abusive mother, and she's seen controlling behavior. Um, so everybody's kind of coming at this with their own like preconceptions and and not everybody's completely right. but in the end, it turns out better for everyone. And part of that is just like I think with all of these relationships, we kind of see that life is better in community together. And that's that's really the thing that makes all of these people work better and be better people is them in a community together. So Hopper and Joyce with L and Mike and Nancy and Jonathan and Dustin uh, and Steve and, and Max and Lucas, they all help make each other actually better people being in this little community together. And they've all been rubbing off on each other and, and helping one another grow. Um, and I think that's the thing that makes this show kind of special in that sense. It's like not every, no character here is right all the time and or perfect. Like they all have room to grow and they all, and and that's what we see in the, in the season. Um, and I think that's nice because it's much better than just kind of like having the show preach at you. Um, And say like this one character is right. No character is right 100 percent of the time in Stranger Things. And that's exactly the way it should be in all shows, because otherwise, again, you're just kind of getting a show just preach at you. And that's boring. And nobody wants that. And I think they do a really good job of kind of mixing that up so that you see the nuance of life here, which is great.
0: And it's real like there's no yeah. one person out there that's always right. We all know that person who thinks it's them. Surprise you, it's not it's not true. Um but I just they you know, it's real. It makes the characters real and that just adds to your desire to get to know them and relate to them and and enjoy them, right? Is that they're real. Um so yeah, I totally agree.
1: Gosh, there's so many things, like so many people to talk about. I think probably I would say maybe one of the most interesting, uh, we could talk about Nancy and Jonathan, but I mean, their relationship is very similar to what it was in season two in a lot of ways. And like, it's progressed and it's good. And I think they end up in a better place, but I have
0: one small thing to say about, and it's not even really about their relationship. It's about the fact that I really hope it, looking forward into season four that we find something for jonathan to do because yeah, be the, the last two seasons he really hasn't had an identity of his own everyone else has kind of had growth and character arcs and things like that and jonathan's been very milk toast and kind of boring even in his development of the relationship in nancy in season two but you know the continuation of it but yeah he hasn't really had a role in the last two seasons um and so for me that he fell flat again and i didn't really care about his character the season because i didn't have a reason to care about his character um so i can leave it at that but that's kind of i I just have some thoughts on jonathan and it's kind of like a little wishy washy here so
1: yeah no i'd actually agree with you I, i think you know of the two of them he's not the interesting one and that's just because they really only give him this role of kind of like following Nancy around all the time instead of having really any... Like, usually it's not the case where the man has no agency of his own as a character. And so...
0: Besides him stabbing the one newspaper owner in the hospital, yeah. like, he literally doesn't do anything what? but drive a car and say, Nancy well the whole yeah. season. Yeah.
1: So I do think, you know, relationship-wise, I really... It was so cute, the relationship that built between Steve and Robin. I really thought that that was an adorable relationship. Um, I felt heartbroken for Steve that he found, like, this girl that was kind of perfect for him. And it turns out she's batting for the other team. Um, you know, I, I just, I really felt for him because, like, he he really has changed as a character so much. Like, he's willing to be, like, open to people he would never be open to and... Then she's just not into dudes. And that I felt so bad for him in that. And I love that he accepts it and like moves on. But I did, I just felt for him as a character, like, oh, poor guy.
2: Well, and you feel for him because he poured his heart out to Nancy and like really loved her. And then she totally dumped him for the other guy. That uh, you know, all of that really hurt steve and then he finally got past it and realized you know that he could live his life and do whatever without her and then he falls for somebody else and then you know apparently she's you know into women which is you know he like you said accepts it but she tries to let him down easy and uh it's sweet it ends up being just like a really nice moment of her saying like i do really care about you Way more than I ever did before in high school, um, but it's just not going to be you and me together.
0: I, I agree. I, I was both heartbroken and at the same time, I thought it was just the sweetest, like friendship that they grew. And I love, I loved Robin. I think she's probably my favorite character this season, if we're being honest here. And um, I, I love at the end when he slides under the stall in the bathroom when they're both like super sick from the Russian drugs. I love that they, he, that when Dustin walks in and they're just both like covered in puke, like sitting on the floor laughing. Like I just, I thought that was such a touching moment. And I love that it didn't get awkward and weird between them and they could just kind of both move past it. And, um, I don't really know because I'm pretty young and I think, Chrissy's pretty young and I'll give you, you're pretty young, Matt. What, what the acceptance rate of Robin's identity was back in the eighties and how big of a risk she was actually taking in telling him this, um, because you could tell she had been wanting to kind of work up to that several episodes, right? Um, we kind of got a hint that there was something and then it turned out to not be what we expected. Um, but I I do love that he was very accepting and open about it and just kind of went with it. And I hope season four, we get Steve love. Maybe we need a hashtag like find Steve love. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, he's now had his heart ripped out like twice that we've seen on screen. So, um, you know, I do, I do love Steve's character. The more we get to know him and the more we get to see him, um, especially at the end when he's asked to give his three favorite movies and he legitimately cannot come up with three movies. Like, he can't think of any three movies in the moment. The one with the bears.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that one where they go back in time and, you know, and of course, Animal House. Animal House, of course. (laughs) That's the
0: only one he can think of in the moment was Animal House. I'm surprised that,
1: I don't know if uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High had come out, but I feel like Steve would love that movie just for the one scene, you know, with Phoebe Cates. Uh, I feel
0: like he'd love The Breakfast Club if that had been out, too. Like I could totally Possibly. see him all over
1: that. Uh, maybe. I mean, that's a pretty deep movie for Steve, though, I feel like. Mm-hmm. so. I, I think, you know, the thing that was, you, you mentioned age-wise, um, I do think, you know, they do play a little bit loose with Robin opening up to Steve about her sexual identity in the 80s at this point, because, I mean, I grew up in a pretty... Cosmopolitan plays Dallas which has become a a much larger community for the gay community Um, but I can tell you that's not something that I would have ever run into at that time period probably so they do play a little bit loose with that but the fact that I think what it means though when you think of it in a context it means that she truly trusts Steve and like when you were saying Christy that she does she does love Steve she just doesn't love him like that you know And I thought that, you know, it's, it's, it's a good role of like, you know, it's, it's a good showing of acceptance and care for people that are different, you know? Um, So that was, that was great. Um, Okay. So we've been talking for an hour and we still haven't really covered the fact that this season happens in different groups. Um, so I just wanted to ask you guys. We have the different groups, you know, and so maybe we'll just kind of open it up as a question as to what your favorite groups were to follow this season.
0: Well, you can't spell America without Erica. Thank you. That uh, is true. And that, that is true. Line, I mean, she is the
1: world's best capitalist.
0: Yes, I I feel like that group was my favorite because that got into. I feel like that got into more of the like sci-fi stuff. Um, whereas I feel like Elle and them got a little more horror and, and then a lot of that kind of high school drama. So uh, I feel like that group for me is where I'm going with.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I think, you know, that having Dustin and Steve and Robin together and then adding Erica and this is the thing I'd say about Erica, like Erica's probably the most annoying character on the planet in this show. And don't think that um, they I think that what they did with her was really smart, because for a while, you could not figure out why do they keep having this obnoxious kid keep like showing up, and then the fact that they utilize her in the way that they do was perfect.
0: Oh, I love um, that she becomes a nerd. Yes, I love the whole oh, dissecting yeah. of why My Little Pony is a nerd show. Oh my just, gosh, that was the best! It just brought me over the edge. Like that was just the moment where I was like, Dustin, I love you, man. Like <laughs> he's already th- thought about this. He's got the whole argument constructed. Like I, I did. I I like because at first you're right. She started out being the most annoying character of the season at the very beginning, right? And then as you slowly get to know her and some of that act that bravado drops off a little bit and you, you start to kind of really see her and know her and, and she's talking back to the adults and, and I I just, she became a much better character than she started in the season. Um, But I think that that group's journey was my favorite journey, um, especially because I don't particularly like like teenage dating angst. It's a little bit too much for me to handle. Um, that's just not a part of my life I want to relive. <laughs> so, um, seeing more of the sci-fi he does
1: for the most part. That's I mean, true.
0: Yeah. That's true. Um, so I think seeing more of the sci-fi and the weird Russian base and and just the that whole and keeping them in their sailors' outfits the whole time just killed me. You know. Um, oh my gosh, that was the best. I, I I just think that that was my favorite grouping. I was fascinated by that
1: storyline too. Um, and I just think it was kind of the most fun uh, I, uh, part of that because I felt like you became really invested in whether or not Steve and Robin would find their way towards each other. and there's nothing better than Steve and Dustin together. So I feel like they really learned their lesson in season two, which is that Dustin and Steve need to be doing something together and and so them, Working that relationship, and then when you added Erica in that mix, and Dustin started to deconstruct Erica, it was fantastic. Like you said, he realizes, Oh, you like Little My Little Pony? Well, let me show you why that's the nerdiest thing you could like. And I love that Dustin understands all of My Little Pony, uh, means Dustin watched My Little Pony, which is hysterical. So, which
0: they admitted to in the show that he watched, yeah. So, yeah, I did. I like that. Uh, I like, and I, I do, I think you know, we're supposed to hate Steve in season one here. you were not supposed to really keep him on board that there's never a plan for that character. Um, and the fact that it naturally kind of became one of the best characters on the show and has some of the best chemistry with Dustin um, that, you know, it it really is, is just what made it wonderful.
1: So, one thing I did want to mention um, that I, I thought was really interesting was um, watching Hopper and Joyce deal with the corrupt politician. Uh, and I thought that was really fascinating. Um, part of their group was to see Hopper kind of realize some of the things that have been going on in the town right under his nose. Um and to me, obviously, anytime you have Gary Ewell's playing a character, it's fantastic, and he's so good at being swarmy and slimy. Uh, so but His that accent to me, was
0: very good too. Yes,
1: yes. Um, but I I liked that part of the the Joyce Hopper. I mean that, and then of course when they go to Murray's and they have Alexi and all that was great too. Um, but I that part was really interesting to me watching them like. I don't know, just see the underbellied corruption of a politician. And I like there's the connection with the fact that he has these kind of underhanded deals getting the mall built. But then it also leads them, you know, to the fact that, you know, he doesn't really care that it's been the Russians. He's just trying to make money. And it just all of that was interesting to me.
0: I, I, I thought, um, that was one of those moments where they kind of played off each other's craziness a little bit, right? Like the, the little crazy they both yeah. have. They both, <laughs> yes. I mean, I feel like Joyce has a reputation for being crazy after everything that's happened in season one, right? And this is kind of that moment where she like capitalized on it, you know, um, and that no one would not expect it from her because she's crazy, you know? Um, I thought that was pretty great. Um, it was interesting because I do feel like, a little bit of that situation was kind of real to the world that we as our our officials and our, our law enforcement in this case with hopper are kind of willing to overlook a certain amount of corruption or not really chase a certain amount of the corruption until it sort of hits a point right so clearly hopper had had dealings with him before and knew he was a little bit slimy and and marmy and you know like they that not everything was probably up to par, but he kind of turned a blind eye so far. And then when it sort of hit this, this point that he's like, all right, I'm done. Um, and, and I think that's a little bit real nowadays too, right? You're all willing to kind of overlook a certain amount of something until it hits a point, And then you kind of are no longer willing to look past it. Um, and I feel like, it kind of shows that, you know, he played the game a little bit, you know, Hopper played that, that political game a little bit to keep his job and to kind of keep people happy and kind of just tells you a little bit about that journey. We talked about him going on. Um, but yeah, I I thought it was really interesting. I don't know how in the eighties he thought the Russians were not going to be the bad guy. I don't understand how the mayor didn't see that coming (laughs) or didn't care. Um, But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Same with sort of this 80s news news team, right? The newspaper was very, very um, macho 80s man newspaper. um, That was very, very stereotypical um, and kind of along the same lines. Um, And so I thought some of those relationships were really interesting and kind of worked out really well. Um, And I really did like um, Joyce trying to talk to Alexi once they sort of kidnapped him <laughs> that was funny <laughs> and the whole situation with the tr- the car catching on fire and him like telling him to get out and she's like you th- you almost caught me on fire hopper and like the bickering there was pretty fun um but yeah i think um over- overall you know we have those groups sort of split up um but i think they came together a little bit faster in the season than they have in the yeah. past you know at least all the kids came together faster. The adults didn't really learn their lesson. They kind of stayed standoffish uh, for whatever reason, Hopper never learns his lesson to get back up ever um but um, yeah, the kids definitely all came together and started working together as soon as they sort of realized there was a common thread um and i and I like that. I think that that's how you defeat something right yep um, yep, it's not lack of communication, Hawkins anymore, so Literally it's the opposite. Yeah. We have a radio tower this time. Yeah, I think I, I think you're absolutely right. That's
1: the thing that really works about this season in the end. And I guess um, before we before we wrap up with our ratings, um, we just want to let you know. Obviously, uh, Christy was on the show and. She was feeling sick, and so she needed to go ahead and leave, so she won't be with us for the rest of the episode. So uh, definitely send her your thoughts and prayers there, uh, and you can tweet her up on on Twitter there at Bespin Bell and let her know that you're thinking of her, and you can get her ratings, and I'm sure she'll share those um, on the Babel Conference once oh, we I'll load ju- up I'll just give you her, so. her,
0: her ratings. It'll just be the same as mine, and then we can call it a win. <laughs> <laughs> and then i can be right i mean i like being right i'm that person yes you really do. earlier when i was talking to all those people i was talking to myself um yes. but yes
1: <laughs> no i think though for me the thing that i really liked about this season um just wrapping up and and looking at our ratings um i felt like the show did a really good job this season of being um very succinct um, I do think, you know, they could have possibly added another episode and just like spread out some of the story a little bit. But I honestly kind of liked the season, just felt like it got to the point most of the time. And we didn't seem to languish anywhere. We didn't have an awful L episode where she went to some weird town we couldn't care less about. And, you know, <laughs> we didn't have none of episode that, that happened. That they
0: looked like they stepped out of a Misfits album.
1: <sighs> yes. Um, so. All in all, I think this is a much better season than two. I think three was um, right on target. Um, the fact that they also switched up the way the villain worked and L wasn't the key to defeating the villain in the way she had been before was fantastic because uh, otherwise that just gets old. And, you know, I honestly hope, um, I've read that season four is supposed to be the end, but they have an option for season five. Just ended at four, guys. Don't get greedy. Just end it at four. Give us our happy ending and we'll be good. Um, but yeah, yeah I'd say. One of
0: the things we didn't even really talk about and address is the fact that, you know, um, Elle lost her powers, seemingly. Yeah, at, at least right this now. Season. Yeah. We don't um, know. We don't know what happened. We just know that she can't even reach the teddy bear on the top shelf of her closet anymore and can't pull it to her. So, you know, that's kind of a big thing that happens right at the end of the season and leaves you wanting another season um and, and is that difference you know in the past l she's disappeared she's been exhausted yada yada but this time she's still there but now seemingly as a normal a, a normal girl which is kind of her first opportunity to have a normal life
1: yeah, I agree with you, and I really appreciate that part of the season too. Again, we're kind of switching things up, and we're making things a little bit more difficult than for ourselves when we get into the new season because it's again, it's not just the same thing. So, I'm very excited to see where we'll go. And i i would I would say this is a great four out of five stars season. Like this is this is four out of five Starcourt Mall stars. So. You know, I, I really enjoyed the season. Um, I, I thought it was well done. Uh, and I had a lot of fun watching it. And because they switched things up and shook things up, now I don't know what to expect from season four, which is excellent.
0: Yeah, we have a, a couple cliffhangers, both in the show and outside of the show, that don't really tell you what to expect in season four, quite the way we did maybe leading into season three, where everything was kind of nicely buttoned up um and it could be anything this this is a little bit different um we have you know this after credits or end of it's a little bit like the marvel mid and after credit scenes right where we're in russia and we have a demigorgon eating people um but they also refer to somebody in a cell as the american um and we're not really sure what that means or who that is and who that could be um and then there was a really fun is it Hopper could be Hopper. There's also rumors that it's, um, Dr. Brennan from the first one that he didn't actually die. Um, there's a, you know, because in season two, we hear the one aide say he's still alive. Um, but so there's a kind of an interesting group that that could be. Um, but what's really interesting about this season is leading into season four. Um, Stranger Things did a really kind of cool 80s, like, interactive piece. Um, so if you remember the episode where they're calling in the Calvary, um and they're they're dialing the number and leaving the message and Joyce calls back and basically threatens them, she also leaves a phone number. Um that phone number is live. You can call it and there's a pre recorded message from Murray. Um, basically threatening a bunch of people, talking to his mom. And then one of the things he actually talks about is he talks to Joyce and says he has some information that he doesn't want to leave here, but they need to get in contact with each other. Um, you know, it's a lead or whatever. So it also gives you a little bit of hope of what's going on there that Joyce hasn't completely given up on everything that's happened in Hawkins. Um, and so that's so cool. And that's so, to me, very 80s where it's like, your cereal box plays along with the TV show and your Pizza Hut toy plays along with this thing and your McDonald's Happy your Meal. Your enhanced CD. Enhanced DVDs yeah. and CDs that click links and stuff. It's just it's so fun um, that they did that and expanded it. And I think that just puts me over the edge and it makes it, you know, cherry slurpy level. Of delicious for this episode or this season um i definitely don't think it's as good as season one it's miles ahead of season two for me um so yeah four four star court mall stars and a cherry slarpy
1: mm, so maybe like four scoops of scoops ahoy
0: yes and yeah, a little know. bit of whipped cream but no chocolate sauce Ooh, or anything like that it's not perfect. it's not the perfect Sunday, but it's yeah, a pretty delicious yeah. one like you wouldn't it's you close. wouldn't send you wouldn't throw it away I mean, you wouldn't it's let not Erica eat it. S.S.
1: Butterscotch, you know, so.
0: Right. And you wouldn't let Erica eat it, but you would want to <laughs> eat it. But it's not perfect, but it is so much better than, you know, some some garbage ice cream that you might get something else or or it's so much better than just a single scoop of something. Very Rum true. raisin. 100. I don't know. I just offended Ugh. half the people out there.
1: Um, yeah, you did. The pistachio fans, you know.
0: Mm. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I, I did. I did enjoy it. I, I, I am looking forward to season four, but I agree. Yeah. Let's end it at four. Wrap the story up. It's okay to know when you're done. I feel like season five would be just too much.
1: Yeah. 100% agree with you. Um, well, I wanted to say uh, just a uh, huge thank you to our associate producers here, as we mentioned uh, at the beginning through Patreon, um, where you can support the network at patreon.com. Uh, thank you to Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah for being our associate producers here through Patreon. Really appreciate them supporting the network each and every week. So we encourage you to be like them and help out the show. Uh, and the network at patreon.com slash trekfm. Uh, Drea, if uh, anybody does want to catch up with you, maybe talk about some Stranger Things. I feel like this season is gif in the sense that there are so many great gifts that you could make. So maybe people want to share their favorite, you know, uh, Stranger Things 3 gifts with you. Uh, Where can people find you?
0: Uh, Sure, you can find me on all the social medias. Um, I am on... Twitter at pcfchick and Instagram at Drea Kaufman and it's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Um, and you can find me each and every week with the, you know, dashing Matthew rushing, um, over on the nerd party network, talking about each chapter of Harry Potter, um, on the owl post. And we go chapter by chapter and we are most of the way through book five at this point. Um, but, uh, Sharing our thoughts and feelings on the on the on the Potterverse. So um that's mostly where you can find me. and occasionally I stop by Hawkins or wherever Six O Two Club happens to be convening, share my thoughts. I think I'm gonna be uh joining y'all for some frozen coming up. Oh, so it's gonna be great. I'm so excited. I've seen that I have that movie memorized. That's the joy of having an almost two year old. Mm, mm. Good time. But yeah, so that's where you can find me.
1: Uh, you can uh, find Christy on Twitter at bestman bell as well. And as well as Instagram. So please do look her up. She has a lot of other things that have been going on with her podcast wise. And so those are great places to catch up with her. And then you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, letterbox and Vero under the name Matt rushing zero two. I'm here on the network doing the uh, orb with Chris Jones talking about star Trek, deep space nine, uh, Apart from just doing Owl Post on the Nerd Party Network, I'm also doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills where we're talking about Star Wars each and every week. It is a lot of fun. In fact, uh, just recently we uh, talked about um, some of the surprises that we had watching uh, Attack of the Clones back in the day. So we just kind of revisited that, which is great. Uh, And then you can find me doing cinema stories with my good friend Courtney as we talk about films, but through the lens of faith. And thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?